When you post hunting photos on Instagram, they get censored. When you post on Go Wild, you get virtual fist bumps from fellow hunters. When you buy gear on Amazon, you gas up a billionaire spaceship. When you buy gear on Go Wild, we donate to a camp that teaches kids to hunt, fish, and shoot. See the difference? Go Wild is a free social community built by hunters for hunters. Join today at DownloadGoWild.com and I'll give you 10 bucks just for setting up your account. And you'll keep unlocking GoWild rewards as you share content because guess what? We like hunting pictures. Join at DownloadGoWild.com or in the App Store. The Houndsman XP Podcast is fueled by Joy Dog Food. Joy Dog Food has a rich tradition of supporting the Houndsman of America. Founded in 1945, Joy is proud of its history and the relationship it has built with the American Houndsman. And in 76 years, there's never been a recall. Made with 100% American-made high-quality ingredients, Joy Dog Food has one of the highest calorie-dense formulas on the market. For 76 years, this made-in-America product has kept hunting dogs in the field day after day, season after season. And when we say made in America, Joy has a long track record of fighting for American freedoms by being on the front lines against the animal rights movement and their extremist tactics. Joy will fuel your hounds and fight for your freedoms, fueled by Joy. is the Houndsman XP Podcast. Good dog, get that bear. Get that bear in here. The original podcast for the complete Houndsman. The podcast that represents our lifestyle of extreme performance. Get up there! Get him! Get him! Yeah! Good boy! Good boy, Ranger! Uniting houndsmen across the globe from east to west, north to south. You know, if you're going to catch a cat or a lion, you know, you have to have teamwork. We take you to the wildest places on earth. Yeah, so how many days how many days a week do you spend on As much as I can to be honest with you. Anytime that I get I'm I'm out there. Join us for every heart pounding adventure on Houndsman XP. I'll tell you like I tell everyone else, I'm gonna hunt whether you're here or not, so you might as well be here. <laughs> This is part one of a three-part series that the Houndsman XP podcast is bringing you about something that is so vitally important. It's a tragedy. It's a crime. And we are going to talk about having a hunting hound criminally shot. In this three-part series, we are going to talk to a victim. We're going to talk to a state police detective. And we are going to talk to a prosecuting attorney. This series is all about preparing you in the event that such a tragedy happens. The victim will 
share his story, the emotional roller coaster that he was on when when this tragedy struck. The detective will tell you key things that you need to do in order to assist in a successful investigation. And finally, the prosecutor will explain the system, how it works, and how you can assist your local prosecutor in getting a successful prosecution and restitution for the loss of your hound. In this first part of our three-part series, I am joined by Brad Hall. Brad had two of his hounds shot in one evening while he was out coon hunting with his father. Uh, One of the hounds did not survive. Brad goes into great detail. You can still hear the emotion in his voice decades after this occurred, but he's going to walk you through how he handled the situation. You should take note of this. It's spot on. He did the right things. He was well prepared in advance to handle this sort of situation. You're not going to want to miss this episode or any of the other two episodes that go along with it. I hope you never experienced this. I've been involved with many of these cases from an advisory standpoint and was with another hunter one time when his squirrel dog was shot. It is a traumatic experience. It is chaotic when this happens. By following the steps that we're going to lay out for you, you are going to be able to approach this situation with a calmness and an understanding that will help ensure that you get a successful prosecution and ultimately you get justice for the crime that was committed against you. Let's get down to it. The old South Dog Box is rocking. Let's drop the tailgate. It's time to dump the box. Southern Hound Honey Magazine is the most comprehensive magazine that represents your lifestyle as a houndsman. If you can hunt it with a hound, it is being covered in the pages of Southern Hound Honey Magazine. You also get an in-depth look at the men and women who are engaged in this lifestyle, living it every day to the fullest. From the Rocky Mountains to the Southern Swamps and across the ocean with articles about our international houndsmen and what they're chasing across the pond. Go to southernhoundhunting.com, get your subscription for $15 a year. Southern Hound Hunting Magazine, promoting the fair chase experience. So here we are at the uh, Houndsman XP Base Camp in Bear Branch, Indiana, and I've got my good friend, Brad Hall. Brad we have been, how long have we known each other? Well, let's see. I went to, I first met you in Vincennes University back in uh, 1992. So, Man, we are dating ourselves. Yeah. We're old. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> but this is going to be, uh, um, I, the reason I wanted to have, have you on here, Brad, is because uh, we're talking about dog shootings. We're talking about the uh, everything that that goes into that. I don't know if this is a, it's going to be the first part. I'm going to, you'll be the first part of this series, this three-part series on having our hounds shot. And that has been a deal where <clears throat> seems to be epidemic at times. It goes in spurts. And uh, you'll see a lot of stories coming out about 
having these hounds shot. And I think a lot of times people misunderstand what is actually going on there, uh, especially houndsmen. You know, they, they fail to realize that this is a criminal case. And um, you went through the whole thing. You, yeah. went, you went through the whole thing. And, and you were a director at the time for the Hoosier Tree Dog Alliance. Yes. And um, you experienced this whole thing. And I remember vividly you calling me that night and telling me that, that you had had a hound shot. <clears throat> and uh, I'm not sure where I was in the process of that whole thing, but but uh, we talked about all of it. And so. Well, yeah. What's so funny about it was uh, it was just uh, less than two weeks ago, I believe. Uh, this is in <coughs> September 2009, and uh, uh, the Hoosier Tree Dog Alliance was uh, uh, just kicked off their "Don't Shoot My Dog" campaign. Uh, I think the law came into effect probably that year or the year before that it is now a Class D felony to shoot and kill a domesticated animal. Mm -hmm. And uh, so uh, HTDA, who's the Tree Dog Alliance, they kicked off the Don't Shoot My Dog campaign with posters and uh, trying to get that information out to people and everything. And one of the um, uh, programs that uh, we got invited to at the Hoosier Tree Dog Alliance was the uh, the new incoming recruits for the uh, Indiana Conservation Officers uh, Plainfield uh, Academy invited us to bring some of our dogs and role play uh, dog shooting situations. Uh, one of the role play was uh, what to do if uh, a homeowner shoots our dogs. And then the uh, conservation officer, they, uh, they trained with us in a real uh, 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 play scenario. And then they reversed it. Uh, in other words, how the homeowner supposed to respond when a uh, coon hunter becomes irate with them and so uh we just we just had that training at the uh yeah. plain police plainfield police uh, police academy with the incoming recruits and so uh I well think, let me give you a little backstory yeah, on that so so that you know that that whole thing was all set up through the hoosier tree dog alliance i was actually working as a conservation officer at the time <clears throat> I don't think I was a drill instructor for that recruit class. I can't remember for sure. I did a bunch of classes, but we one of the things that I always wanted to see happen was our officers be exposed to that sort of a situation because we had spent so many years as an agency um misrepresenting or or not understanding coon hunters and things like that and of course I was a I was a coon hunter and a houndsman coming into recruit training and when I was a recruit I remember the jokes you know it, when they knew that I was a coon hunter it was do you know how a coon hunter's lying when his mouth's moving you know and the jokes just kept coming and and poking and different things so after I got a few years on I realized that this was a segment of our sporting public that was misunderstood by everybody, including the people that were supposed to be enforcing the laws that regulated what we did, who we were, are, and what we do. And so we had Chris Griggs. He was a state trooper. He was there. Um, Chris Griggs, his dad was Vanny Griggs. You remember Vanny? 
Oh, yeah. The yeah. Silver Fox. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yep. Vanny. And so Chris was there, and, and uh, we set up these scenarios, and it was a training day for us to get these recruits in the most realistic situations we could get them in to deal with everything from dogs, tra you know, hunters trespassing to – it was scenarios, role-playing. Mm -hmm. And you were there, and Chris was there. Chris was a, a homeowner, and – I mean, it was just, it was great. Right. It was a good deal. Yeah. So we we had that training. I'd forgotten about this, yep. that you had been there so recently. Yep. Yep. It was just like within 10 days. Yeah. And yeah. so so at the Indiana Law Enforcement Academy, there's a little house off to the side yep. that they use for scenario-based training, different stuff. It's in... And we set the whole thing up with the land, you know, had a had a role player there that was a landowner, and he was irate, and, and then the officer is supposed to walk into this situation or respond to this call to <clears throat> a conflict between a landowner and a coon hunter. And then it was a landowner who had shot a coon hunter's dog, and it just all boiled up from there. Yeah, so... Um, <clears throat> I had a dog named Banjo that I owned uh, in half ownership with uh, the uh, the great Mike Dahoney um, out of Dahoney Dizzy. Uh, Banjo was qualified for the PKC World Hunt. I just recently qualified him for the UKC World Hunt. And uh, so uh, I asked my dad if he would like to go uh, with me that night. Uh, he had a female, and I told him I was going to take Banjo, and uh, he had a we had another dog uh, that we named Remus, and mm -hmm. my dad's middle name is Remus, so I named the dog after my dad. I called him Remus. I bet he was honored. Oh, yeah. And so <laughs> Albert Albert Remus. Yep, Albert Hall. Remus Hall. Yes. Yeah. And so, uh, of course, dad 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 loved the coon hunt. He he'd never been a competition hunter, but uh, my dad being. Uh, uh, Raised in the southeastern Kentucky in the coal mining field of uh, Whitesburg, Kentucky. Uh, him and uh, his best friend, Donald Wagner, they grew up coon hunting and uh, just outside of Whitesburg in May King and Pine Mountain. And so those traditions were passed on to me. So I've been coon hunting since I was old enough to crawl on my daddy's back and uh, fell in love with it. And that's all I ever lived and dreamed for is to run them coon dogs. And so me and dad... Uh, we, we we got together to go coon hunting, and uh, we then we went to the place where uh, we we had permission. Uh, it's in Pittsburgh. Uh, it's a farm that I still hunt. Nice patch woods, little thicket in it. Uh, field, uh, cornfield, bean field on both sides with a creek running through the middle. Perfect place to, you know, to train your young dogs and uh, make a quick drop. Have a coon. Well, they hit a track. Corn was up, and they hit a track instead of going. Into the into the wood, this coon went on the backside of the cornfield and all of a sudden took a line drive uh, back towards uh, uh, a strip of houses. Now, we're not talking a housing addition. We're talking about like five homes that owned about 15, 20 acres apiece, something like that. Sure. And so, it's pretty common in Indiana. You yeah. know, you have, you have these big farms and then along the county roads – the the farming family had sold off parcels of land and people built houses along these county roads. That's right. And so um, I'm following the dogs on my GPS, and I can see by their tracks that they're uh, heading back toward the woods, and I figured that the coon was going to head to. 
So I told Dad, I said, let's jump in the truck and we'll try to cut them off. And so we pulled in front of the woods where I figured the dogs were going to take the coon and come across to another patch woods. And as we pulled up, we heard a pop, 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 pop. And my dad said, son, he said, that sounded like gunshots. And I said, man, I hope nobody shot my dogs. And so as we got out of the truck, I dropped the tailgate and hoping that my dogs will come to me. And sure enough, two of them did. Remus came, and I threw him in the box, and the female came, and I threw her in the box because the, the popping sound was a real loud, mm-hmm. loud-type gun. It's not like a normal twenty-two, and, and so the pistol going off, I figured it would probably mess the dogs up. And so uh, Banjo didn't come, and I started calling for him. And so I started walking toward the nearest house from where my dog, the two dogs, came. I started walking toward that house, and uh, my dad walked with me, and I'm shining for my dog. And the house sits off the road probably about 50 yards, and underneath the street light of the house, I seen a man holding a pistol. And I said, buddy, you better not have shot my coon dog. He said, I did, and over there it lays. And I looked over, and I could see the red light flashing on the GPS collar, uh, the Garmin collar, and it wasn't moving. Chris, it's the only time in my life where I felt needles from the top of my head to the bottom of my toes. I mean, literally needles. And I started screaming, and my dad grabbed a hold of me. And he, he yelled at the homeowner. He said, please go in the house. I don't know how long I can hold it. And I said, Dad, I'm fine. I'm not going to do nothing. I'm not going to do nothing. And Dad let go of me. And that homeowner went into the house. And I stood right there on the road. And I said, I can't believe this just happened. And uh, so one of the things that I, I knew to do is uh, uh, not say a thing to the homeowner at that point. It, it's not, it does no good at that point. After the scenario happened, it's over. So uh, I called the police on my cell phone, called 911. They sent a sheriff deputy to me. Let's, it, let's, let's hold up there a minute. Well, yeah, go ahead. So what, what made you think you, – you never entered – the property no sir never even thought to when you heard the gunshots you didn't go running in there what was your total interaction with this homeowner that the guy that you saw under the light at the time that it happened the only thing i said you better not have shot my coon dogs and that's all you said that's all i said and his response was i sure did i sure did there he lay he's laying over there and did you at that time did you just think that banjo was dead or i did i thought banjo was dead i thought banjo was dead and i started screaming like uh just like oh my god you know and and that's when my dad grabbed a hold of him because dad thought i would take off after the land sure you know and um so he being a father and so uh you know like i said i called 911 called the sheriff and then then i called you yeah and chris if i remember correctly you said Brad called Jeff Weld now. Well, I, g- I gave you the number for dispatch. Yeah. And uh, I think I called dispatch. I actually called dispatch and said, 
hey, this is what's going on. Here's the number. And Jeff, if Jeff's working, then have him respond or get a conservation officer right. there. And so uh, uh, Jeff Wells is our conservation officer for that county, and um, uh, he was not working that night. And so um, after I realized he wasn't working, I remembered that I had his number in my phone. I think this is the important part that I'd like to share with coon hunters is to develop a relationship with your local conservation officer. Let's touch on that. We'll touch on that again, but okay. go ahead and finish. And so um, I went ahead and uh, I called Jeff on his personal phone, and, and, and Jeff answered. And I told him what happened. And, uh, you know, he wasn't on duty. But Jeff, out of at out of the goodness of his heart and being the good conservation officer he was, he came to the scene. And he said, do not tell the, tell the sheriff deputy that I'm coming. He wanted to be the investigator. He wanted to take over. And so when the sheriff came there, in all reality, when the sheriff was like, well, sorry about your dog. So had I had I stuck with the deputy, I probably wouldn't have had the full investigation that needed to be done. Had had Jeff Wells, have I not got Jeff Wells there? And yeah. so I, that's another thing that I learned from it is our CEOs are put in place for these situations, and that ninety nine percent of your deputies have no clue. They just like well. Briar Creek Kennels is your complete hound hunting outfitter: boots, lights, collars, and tracking equipment, dog boxes, kennel supplies, collars, clothes, squalors. Whoo! They have it all. Briar Creek Kennel is a garment and dog tree dealer. Owner Chris Girth will ensure Briar Creek Kennel customers will get top of the industry customer service. Whether you purchase from their website or you find them at a major coonhound event, Chris and his staff will share expert knowledge and experience about every product they offer. Chris Girth is a top competitor and breeder of hounds. He knows what gear you need to be successful. Look for Briar Creek Kennels on the web for a complete online store or look at their fully stocked trailer at any major coonhound event. Briar Creek Kennels, offering a hound hunting public generations of excellence. Check out Dogs Are Treed at dogsartreed.com. Leashes, tie-outs, medical kits, paws are protected, and dogs are hydrated, cutting-edge, high-quality gear for you, the houndsman, Gear designed for houndsmen by houndsmen with the highest level of craftsmanship available. Dogs Are Treat is also the exclusive dealer for Houndsman XP Podcast logo wear. We're working on our line over there, but we just dropped some new hats at Dogs Are Treat. And you can see them on our page at dogsartreed.com. And don't forget at checkout, enter the code HXP 20% off all capital letters, and you will get 20% off of your entire order. Find them today at Dogs Are Treed at dogsartreed.com. Well, and, and I'm going to take up for law enforcement in general, but, uh, you know, sheriff's deputies are dealing with a lot of different things, and, and for them to show up and respond to that, um, if they're not familiar with the laws and, and in, in the state of Indiana, it's simply a, this is the point that I want to make before we get any farther 
is I don't care if you're in Indiana or you're in Ohio or you're in Wyoming because, you know, we cover all of it. When somebody denies you your property and they take it from you, there is a law that covers that. Doesn't doesn't have to be a law on the books that says, you know, we see it all the time. To shoot a hunting dog in the state of whatever is a felony. Well, it's always it's always a crime, whether it's your cow, whether it's your whether it's your dog, whether it's you know your car, whether it's your uh, you know your your chainsaw the back of your truck. You know, there's there's a law that covers that because it's yours, and we live in America, and your property is protected. So when a law enforcement officer tells you that there's nothing they can do because it's a hunting dog, that's wrong. It, it, it it's just property is all it is, and and so for houndsmen out there they need to recognize the fact that there has always been a crime that has been committed or the potential for a crime to be committed when a dog is shot so and and i i am i'm not trying to let anybody off the hook but i also want to there are a lot of houndsmen a lot of coon hunters out there who are also city police officers and state troopers and and county deputies and and different things and this is something that is if if that person has no understanding of that kind of culture then automatically they're like they don't know what happens and i can tell you as a law enforcement officer when i responded to things that i didn't fully understand the law or i didn't understand what was going on then ego kicks in i don't care who you are you know it's just like the facebook post it's like that says by god if somebody shot my dog i'm going to do this probably you're not that's all ego that's all you know kicking in and law enforcement officers aren't exempt from that so when they show up to a scene like you showed up to and it's like man i'm not sure that this is a crime then they automatically try to minimize it and the famous last words are looks like a civil case you know you'll have to take a civil case but jeff understood that and jeff wells was is a guy that uh, uh, was well equipped you couldn't have had you know you couldn't have had a better better officer respond right so so jeff shows up at the scene and um he's just a cool dude i mean he's a cool cat he knows how to you know he just Went real smooth with everything, and uh, he showed up at the scene and, uh, you know, apologized, told me he's sorry that my dog was shot. And um, he said, Brad, he said, uh, would your other dog shot? I said, well, Jeff, I didn't even think about that. And so we pulled the dog out and specked him, and sure enough, Remus was shot in the back. Hmm. I said, oh. I'd forgotten about that. I really hadn't until you told me tonight. Yeah, and so I'm like, doggone it. And so uh, first thing that Jeff does is go to the landowner, and um, uh, he comes back to me after talking to the landowner, and he said, Brad, he said, your dog's still breathing. He said, I want you to go get him right now. And so I go over there, and uh, my dog just laying there, uh, unconscious but still breathing with a bullet hole perfectly placed in between its eyeballs i mean perfect 
and I picked my dog up and uh, shaking uncontrollably. I just couldn't believe this was happening. And uh, uh, I told Jeff I'm rushing my dog to the vet. So we go to the uh, Avon uh, Animal Clinic, getting there, and uh, we uh, uh, get the uh, Remus in there. And um, he does a quick x-ray on the uh, uh, banjo and said that uh, you can see here, Brad, the bullet's placed firmly in his brain. He said, there's nothing we can do for him. He said, uh, he's going to die, but we can take care of that right now. So I went ahead and, and uh, said my goodbye to him, and they uh, uh, put him to sleep. And so uh, he took my other dog, Remus, and they had to go into surgery on him to get the bullet out. In the meantime, uh, I called Purdue University. Uh, I I really can't remember who told me to do this. I can't remember if it was. I can't. I can't recall. Do you remember? Yeah. Okay. Go ahead. Go and, ahead and tell the story. And so, uh, I uh, called Purdue University and uh, told them that I got a dog. I'm coming in uh, with that with. Uh, Shot and, guilt, shot and killed, I need to have an autopsy report and uh, uh, ballistic testing. And so uh, I rushed into Purdue University, which is a good hour drive from where I was at. And uh, and when I got there, what I was shocked was uh, you you think that they're going to do their thing, give you your dog back. They said once they take that dog, you don't get him back. Mm -hmm. So I wasn't able to even get my dog back to burying. Uh, they don't tell you what they do with them. But once you give turn it over to them, you don't get that dog back. So uh, Banjo went out of Boilermaker. <laughs> so uh, anyways, uh, <coughs> I go back to the uh, Avon Animal Clinic and uh, pick my other dog up. They were able to get the bullet out and uh, stitched him up. And so uh, I go home and... Uh, What's, what's really shocking is, is the amount of support from coon hunters from all over calling me, uh, you know, you know how they want to be, uh, whatever you say to do, Brad, we'll do it, you know, I'm yeah. like, hey, <laughs> it'll all be taken care of, you know, I said, I, I trust the system now, I trust the system, and so um, Jeff Wells got a hold of me, and he said, Brad, he said, this is, this is going to take time. He said, there's not going to be nothing suddenly done. He, he said, I got a full statement from the landowner. And uh, he said, I'm going to wait for the uh, reports from Purdue University veterinarian. <clears throat> and he said, it's just going to take time. So you're just going to have to sit and be patient and wait, you know. I think that's a good good place to uh, to talk about a couple things there. So, yeah, it's when you have a dog taken in – it's it's called a necropsy, and um, you and I have. I was talking to Jeff Wells that night. I was talking to you that night. Um, in the next day, I, I'd come up to your house. Yes, you did. You interviewed with the uh, news center. We had a uh, channel. Yep. Six, and eight, fifty-nine. I mean, it, yep. it, it got blown. You know, it, we it, did. The, we and this is the part that I want to lay out how to be how to be effective because I'm going to jump ahead here a little bit but you got a successful prosecution out of this case and you got restitution 
for banjo. <laughs> yes. And Remus. Yes. And for Remus. both of them. Yes. So, so that's where I want to tell people you need to hang in there and listen to this story about how the system can work. And I want to talk about how we make it successful and how we can do things to ensure that that's successful. But I think some things that we can talk about already is the fact that you remained as calm as possible at the time. You had contacts with the right people, not because um, you were desperate. It's because you had spent your whole life making these contacts. And you started to talk about why it was important to have that good relationship. And and we call them conservation officers in Indiana, but it's a game warden, you know. And so talk right. about talk about that, right. Brad. So uh, I met. I met Jeff Wells, our game warden in Hendricks County, years ago uh, before that ever happened. And uh, there had been a few times where he'd show up and, when we were coon hunting he'd check your license and, uh, you know, and ch- and check their license. And But I'd see him at the barber shop. We'd always fellowship and talk. And uh, I'd see him in town. I'd always make, he was always making time for me and I was making time for him. And where, where we had that, once we see each other, that friendship relationship, hey, how you doing? What's going on? What, you know, and so, uh, you know, that, that built over the years mm-hmm. and where you start developing that, that kind of relationship. And, uh, you know, one of the things that I always realized growing up is, is the game warden isn't against the hunter. He's for the hunter. That's who paid his paycheck. It, uh, uh, so, you know, the hunter that's worried about the game warden, the hunter that's not doing what he's supposed to do. <laughs> so, uh, you know, that. so I encourage everybody to start developing that relationship, you know, and uh, that way he trusts you enough to give you his personal cell phone number. Yeah. You know? And he did. He trusted me with it. And so uh, having that, I didn't realize I'd have to use it for that matter. Right. But uh, that, that, that was good. And so... Uh, to pick back up where, where we were at, the next day, I was shocked to get a phone call from the man that shot my dog's wife, begging me to drop drop all this, asking me, please don't, 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 you know, because uh, she was saying that he was trying to protect me. She was, he was trying to protect me. He was trying to protect his wife. He was trying to protect his wife. So here, here, here's what the story was that that uh, came out. Um, maybe jumping ahead of myself here, but I'll rein you back in. Okay. So, <laughs> so the landowner told our game warden Jeff Wells that he heard some dogs outside, and he had a he had a dog. I think it was a Labrador Retriever that he let run loose in his yard. Mm-hmm. And he said that my dog came into his yard and attacked his dog and had him pinned down. That, that, that All three of my dogs were pinned down. So he said he shot the pistol in the air twice to scare my dogs off his dogs. And you know as well as I do, coon dogs are pretty friendly dogs. I mean, I've never seen <laughs> 
coon dog go up to another dog and just take another dog down, especially mine. And Banjo was just meek. As a matter of fact, we used Banjo at the police academy as um, one of the instruction dogs. That, right. That, so, you know, and, so he's a very mild meek dog. The thing about Banjo, whenever you called Banjo or you yell at him, he would immediately just get on all fours and lay down and look at you. He won't move until you go up to him and snatch him up. Yeah. So I know what happened. Langdon comes out. He said that my dog had his dog down and packing it, and he shoots two times in the air. And when he did, he said that banjo come running after him with his hackles up. Right. Okay. And that's right. why he, he <laughs> and he said that he took a gun outside because he didn't want them dogs to hurt his wife. Mm-hmm. But yet his wife wasn't home at the time. The wife showed up after the game warden showed up. Right. And he said, well, I didn't know when she'd get home. I just wanted them gone when she got home. I wanted to protect her. And so the story that he told Jeff Wells was that the dog come running and charging at him with his hackles up after he shot two times in the air. The other two dogs took off running. And when... Banjo started running towards him with his hackles up. He feared for his life and shut the dog. And Jeff said, what would you use in a 38 snub nose? He said, how far away was he? He said, about, about 20 yards, 30 feet, 20 yards, something like that. And Jeff said, uh, you was able to place a perfect bullet between that dog's eyeballs on the run with his hackles up in the dark with the 38 snub nose. He, he said, that's good shooting. And, uh, like so world I, class shooting. Yeah. And yeah. so, um, but I know exactly what happened because I know my dog. When, when he got yelled at, he immediately went down on all four legs, like in a lay down position. We well, had him cornered in a chain link yard, didn't he? Yes. Yeah. He was in a corner of the chain link yard it yeah. wasn't like he can go anywhere and i suspected that he walked right up and shot the dog point blank between the eyeballs right so jeff wells asked him game warden asked him he said now you see that red blinking light on that collar he said did you not think maybe the dog is of some important and the landowner said that he thought the red light flashing meant danger but it was a dangerous dog he didn't know why that red light was flashing on that dog mm-hmm because so this was the old days of Garmin, like the yes. fir- very first 220. Yep. And so those old collars, the light blinked red. Yep. It didn't blink green like the new right. TT15s and right. T5s. So and this would be like a good that. time to uh, let everyone know that anybody that's got a Garmin collar out there, you can download and print the whole track of every hunt and print it off on paper. Let's not get ahead of ourselves. Right. We're going we're gonna to put that in here. All right. Yeah. So, anyways, um, the landowner gave him that story, and uh, uh, when we got the results back from Purdue University, uh, the ballistic testing said that the dog was shot no farther than three foot away with powder burn still on his forehead and that it was – it was uh, put in at an angle of 17 degrees, 17 degree angle. He told Jeff Wells the dog was 30 foot away or 20 yards away, whatever, and that he shot at a 90 degree angle with the dog running at him at a 
bull run. Mm-hmm. So we had that evidence. So so I'm so glad that I took my dog to Purdue to have the the uh, ballistic testing and the autopsy done. Yeah, so to lay this out, I mean, when you talk about a 17-degree angle, okay, so think of it as a clock, and 12 o'clock would be zero degrees, and then like at 2 o'clock – that would be about 17 degrees, a little less than 2 o'clock. Right. So that's pretty much standing over and shooting straight down. Yep. And so that's key to the success of this story. Yes. There's there's several keys that you've already covered. One is having the relationship. One is having the right person there to investigate the case and – the other thing that you did right was getting that dog for an actual forensics examination called a necropsy at Purdue University. So now you've got all these parts coming together in this case, and and that's how you that's that those were all so, those were all so, key so, things that you needed to do. Yeah, and uh, a couple of things that we did do Purdue University and my veterinarian uh, that worked on Remus was. Uh, I requested on both dogs to find any hair or foreign object or foreign hair from the so-called Labrador Retriever that they said that my dog had down and chewing up. Right. There was none found, zero found. There was no And uh, Jeff Wells, or game warden, he, he investigated the dog. He said, I want to see your dog. And he brought the dog out, and he said, he said, it was perfectly healthy, fine, no wet marks on it, no visible altercation. The wet marks were, dark. I mean, so, so Jeff was real thorough in asking all the right questions, you know, and, and recording all this. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, we had the evidence of, uh, of Jeff's investigation, the autopsy, the b- ballistic testing, uh, the foreign objects not being found, or any other hair from dogs in the dog's mouth. Uh, so a, a lot of a lot of things were put in the right place. And, mm-hmm. uh, so um, speaking the next day, and and you know. Uh, I greatly appreciate your friendship, Chris, that you drove up two and a half hours that next day to uh, to be my spokesman for all the news channels that showed up to investigate this because at this point it was uh, uh, on channel 59, 68 news. Yeah, all of them. And so um, I'll let you speak on that, how, how you shared uh, – uh, at the conservation officer. Well, I think I was probably there as the uh, spokesman for the Hoosier Tree Dog Alliance at that point. Okay. Uh, Jeff was covering the conservation officer right. side of it. That's right. And um, uh, one of the things that we felt was going to add to success was to give a news release on what actually happened. Um, and... Let people know what what coon hunting actually is, you know, and and talk about the temperament of these hounds. And they're not bloodthirsty killers. They're not dog, dogs that coon hunters, houndsmen. I don't care if you're a coon hunter, you're you're a rabbit hunter with beagles, you're a bear hunter with bear dogs. 
dog aggressive dogs are not tolerated in our community. You know, dog aggression is something that's not tolerated. And so we wanted to get that information out there and talk about that to the general public because it was an opportunity. It was a tragedy for you, no doubt about it, Brad, but it was also an opportunity for us as a hound hunting community to inform the person that is sitting in their living room in a suburb of Greenwood, Indiana, to know what coon hunting is all about and what being a houndsman is all about. And so that's the message that we tried to get out there with this this news release. That's right. That's right. I remember that now. Yep. yep. And Jeff talked about as much as he could. I mean, he, he, he talked. There's certain things that you can talk about and certain things you can't when there's an investigation ongoing. But Jeff is very well-spoken. He's very deliberate. And you can, you can ask for a better, better officer to be yeah. there that night for sure. Yeah, it was good. So, uh, anyways, uh, when uh, the uh, homeowner's uh, wife called me, uh, it was sort of, uh, I would say, not so much at her harassing me as she was in fear. She realized uh, that, you know, shouldn't have happened. Shouldn't have been done. And so... There was, a, there was a part of me that 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 was sad for her, mm-hmm. you know, because now her husband getting all this attention. A lot of uncertainty there for her. I mean, she's she's right. on the outside looking in. She comes home, and there's policemen in her driveway, and all this stuff's going on. And she's like, "What have you? You know, what is going on? What have you done?" And after going in the house and and talking to her husband, it's like, "Uh oh, this could be bad." Yeah. So she reaches out to you. Yeah. And 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 Chris, I never shared this with I don't think I ever shared this with you. But come to find out he was a well respected man in a church. Mm-hmm. He was a missionary. And so um you know that I'm a Christian. I love the Lord and I know you you're a Christian too. So there were a there was a big part of me that, that really struggled with that, you know. He 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 had a gun and he used it and he made a mistake and uh, i know that his story didn't line up to what really happened but there was still a part of me that that would um you know that sensible side or or sensitive the hu- side the human side yeah the yeah. human side but compassion right compassion but it is what it is and and you know we we had to we had to proceed with it, and they, I had other people, other Christians that 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 reached out to me saying, "Oh, you shouldn't be, you know, suing your fellow brother in Christ." I said, "I'm not." Well, what do you mean? I said, "I'm not suing." I said, "There's an investigation being done because it was a criminal offense. Mm-hmm. That's out of my hands," and that's what people fail to realize. Yeah, and so. Just wanted to throw that out there. Sure. You know. Yeah, I, I think, you know, you look at that whole thing, it's like a compassionate person looks at the other side of it and they think, what would I have done in this situation? You know, and and we can never speak as to what this man's motives were. I think it was a lack of education about 
who we are as houndsmen, which is whose fault is that? That's our fault. It really is. I mean, when you get right down to the nitty-gritty of it, why doesn't this guy know that a coon hound is is non-aggressive, he's not a threat to you? That's our fault as a hunting community because we have not done our jobs to get out there in front of the public and say and state who we are and what we do, and it's, that's that's our deal. But his fault is taking those steps and shooting your dog so we can accept our responsibility in it but he needs to accept his too and and every action has consequences you know it's just what it is now i will tell you this it's pretty funny because he's a very smart individual and he had a lot of uh at that time i I, he he computer savvy Mm -hmm. he started a website like within two weeks, called HoosierTreeDog.com. He mocked us, hoping that anybody that goes to HoosierTreeDog would put HoosierTreeDog.com instead of HoosierTreeDogAlliance.org, right. right. which what we were. Yeah. And if you went to that HoosierTreeDogAlliance.com, then he's sharing his story. Why he did what he would. He was trying to make excuses. Right. All right, so so – this this podcast is about helping people out there who I hope nobody ever has to experience this. Right. How how did you feel about it? I mean, you were you were I know when you called me, you were highly emotional. Um but like I said, I had I I've never felt to this day needles that ran from my head. What does that mean? What do you mean needles? I was in shock. I was shocked. I, I couldn't believe it happened, you know. Mm-hmm. I, and and the thing is, Banjo was a very, very good competition coon dog. And, and I was really, really disappointed because I lost out on that. Mm-hmm. But, man, I'm going to tell you something. There's a brighter side to everything. I mean, if you trust in the, trust in the Lord that all things work for his, for his good. Um, Mike Dahoney came to me um, in the midst of this. By that January... That was in November when uh, uh, the guy got arrested and stuff, and I didn't have a coon dog. And so Mike Dahoney came to me, and he said, Brad, he said, I'm going to give you half interest in this pup that I got. He's a year old. He got a Dahoney dizzy. And he said, I'm just going to I'm going to give him to you. You don't have to pay me half interest or anything. And uh, he said, let's try to start over for you. And pup never been in the woods. And Chris, I showed the pup a coon and uh, got him barking on the coon a little bit in the, in the woods during kill season. And I'll never forget, we, we went coon hunting the next night. And this pup never been trained. I went coon hunting the next night, and we're out there talking. And about 200 yards in the woods, we hear a dog load up on a tree. I'm like, somebody else coon hunting in these woods tonight? <laughs> And he said, man, I said, let's go see who dog that is. And I go in there, and that's my dog, Rock. Yeah. And I finished him out. He was a uh, Grand Knight champion, PKT champion, HTX, best coon dog I ever owned in my life. I ended up wow. buying uh, Mike Dahoney's half out on him. And uh, so it, I would have never had Rock if it wasn't for what happened to Banjo. Yeah. And so, you know, um, the silver lining in that. Yep. Well, let me, let me ask you this. So what do you think the things are 
and that's an amazing story. That's that's amazing, and I I I agree with you hundred percent. You know, things happen for a reason, and it's out of our control, and it's not always something that we understand. But what sort of things did you do? You feel like happened that night? What are some things that you did that was successful? Because let's let's just skip ahead here a little bit. Okay, the investigation was complete. You went to court. The man was put on trial. And what happened during the trial? Okay. Uh, to answer your first question, I think the number one thing I did was keep a cool head. Mm-hmm. I, I, I batted I wanted to run over there. You know, I knew that wasn't the answer. And uh, so keeping a cool head and realizing at that point there's nothing that you can do to reverse it. And Albert probably helped you with that. And Dad did. <laughs> he Dad did. did. <laughs> and, and so I'm glad Dad was there for support. I'm glad he was there for you too. Yeah. So um, Jeff Weld gets with me and uh, said they got all the information that they needed, that they were going to arrest him, arrest the shooter. And how long after, how long after? Oh, my goodness. That was like a month. Okay. Three, four weeks. So how did you feel from the time that that was that night until you got word that he was going to be arrested? I almost felt. Did you feel like it was being swept under the rug? I did. I I almost felt hopeless. I'm like, man, nothing's going to come of this. Mm -hmm. Nothing's going to come of this. Did you do anything between that time and the time that he was arrested? To I, I did. I did exactly what Jeff Wells told me to do. Not make no contact with at all with that uh, landowner. Did you stay in contact with the prosecutor or the, the or, or with the I officer? Think, I think the prosecutor reached out to me a couple of times to ask me some questions. Mm-hmm. And so um, I don't have the best vocabulary. What they call it when something when something's settled is called a precedent, or you you know. When disposition, not percentage. In other words, um, uh, when something is established in court, anybody a precedent. Knows. Yes, thank okay. you. Okay, precedent. Right. Well, like I said, I'm my vocabulary is not the best. <laughs> That's all right. But anyway, um, that was one of the things that I, I honestly think that that Jeff was hoping to get set of precedents. And what that means is. Okay, we're going to establish in the state of Indiana. We maybe we've never had a case like this where it was a successful prosecution on specifically a coonhound being shot, but this is an opportunity for us to get a conviction on this, and it sets a precedence for all future cases. and And I can tell you that your case has been a precedence for other cases when other dogs have been shot because. Anyone that I knew of and was involved in, it's like, hey, we've already done this. It's already been established in Hendricks County, Indiana, that this is wrong. It's a crime, and this is the case. And they can, they've can they got a cause number. They can go and look it up and, and read the, the case notes, and bang, there's your precedence. Yep. yep, that's exactly right. And so, yeah, the prosecutor reached out to me a couple times, and I was. I was feeling hopeless. I'm like, man. So I was pretty shocked. When Jeff Wells called me and said they're beginning ready to arrest him, and they are filing Class D felony mm-hmm. uh, charges for killing a domesticated animal and two Class A misdemeanors of shooting a domesticated animal for shooting him and shooting Remus. So there were three charges, uh, Class D felony, two Class A misdemeanors. 
And so um, they gave him the opportunity. He ended up turning him turning himself in. He he went right. They processed him, arrested him, processed him, went through the uh, that process. And uh, at from that point, uh, it was a it went on till April, where they were going to set a trial. And uh, basically, it was cut and dry with the ballistic testing report. Mm-hmm. And his testimony versus not having the dog hair in the dog's mouth and uh, Jeff Wells not seeing any of the uh, 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 visual that the dog was actually, the landowner's dog was taken down. And, uh, and the, you know, I want to say something here. The landowner kept talking about... Uh, he said, "He said you guys shouldn't have your dog free casted out here running in, in the whole oh, Wait a minute. Your dog running free in, in your yard, same difference. Right. You know, I'm sure I've had a, some of the neighbors tell me how his dog went over and getting their trash and stuff. Right. You know, and so, um, yeah, so they, uh, uh, they, the prosecutor continued to work with uh, the landowner's uh, attorney. And basically, it was cut and dry, Chris. I mean, if he goes before a trial, he's going to get slammed. And right. That's a Class D felony. Right. So the prosecutor um, done a plea bargain with him. Uh, and that plea bargain was that he had to pay restitution of banjo of $8,000. And to pay me back $1,509 for the uh, ballistic testing, the autopsy, and uh, putting Banjo to sleep and putting uh, uh, Remus under to uh, remove the bullet mm-hmm. in the stitches. And so uh, that that plea agreement was uh, settled upon and agreed upon. Uh, he would have 365 days probation. Uh, I'm sorry, 365 days jail time. Uh, 364 days suspended. One day already did mm-hmm. when he got one arrested. One day served. And that uh, he would be on probation for a year and that the charges would be dropped to a Class A misdemeanor only. Mm-hmm. And so that was agreed upon with the landowner and the landowner uh, paid in full on everything. And Were you I, satisfied with that? It helped. Mm-hmm. As far as satisfaction... Uh, I look at all the years that I lost out on the banjo to compete, and he was a young dog, two yeah. years old. But I was satisfied that that justice was served, that a wrong was made right. What it, What do you think? Do you think it was more satisfying than if you would have gone ahead and charged into the man's yard and confronted him in his yard? And yeah, hindsight looking back, yeah. Yeah, because, but not knowing, not knowing if if you're going to get justice out of it. it Say you'd have gone up there and thumped him. I mean, just just got your justice, hillbilly justice, right there in the front yard, and picked up your dog and got down the road. Which which was better, Brad? Dakota two eight three offers you unparalleled protection for your hounds. We're talking about military grade kennel crates uh i got got one of these two-door kennel crates here at the house it is super heavy duty it's got slap latches on it that are stainless steel 
easily fits in the back of an SUV or if you're traveling with a camper shell, it's a great way to keep your dog protected while you are traveling. You just gotta check out their Dash Series. This is a watering system and I've used a lot of these portable waterers over the years, but this system is all integrated into one unit and the way it's designed out of high impact plastic the water stays in the tank when you're not using it because you can put a plug in it check them out uh, the 3.5 is also compact enough that i can store it behind the seat of my pickup truck while i'm out hunting when it's super cold i've had exterior tanks before and as soon as i go to cold climates then i've got to figure out how i'm going to get water to my hounds and the dash takes care of that so check out dakota 283 at dakota283.com and at checkout enter the code hxp10 and get 10 percent off of your order houndsman xp is very proud of our partnership with the organization freedom hunters freedom hunters is a nonprofit organization that takes america's veterans hunting from field to field, from the battlefield to a field near you when you volunteer your time to take America's warriors hunting with you and your hounds. It's easy. Go to houndsmanxp.com, click on the partnership tab, and it will take you to Freedom Hunters. You can go direct to their website to make donations at freedomhunters.org. Support America's heroes. Let's pay it back. Visit freedom hunters at freedomhunters.org or go to houndsmanxp.com and you can find them on our website from field to field even better than i did it the way i did it mm-hmm. yeah absolutely and um you know i could have ran over to him but i knew that was trespassing i knew in my heart if i stepped on that yard in that into that yard i'm now trespassing you got a guy standing out there with a pistol right and uh, so I, I knew I knew that I was. Well, I can I'll, I'll just I'll put this out there. Cowardice has nothing to do with this. I know you. I've known you for a long time. And you're you're not a coward. So that has for anybody that might be thinking, well, Brad was scared to go up there because he had a gun. No, Brad's got some common sense and understands it's pretty amazing really that you had the wherewithal about you to realize as soon as I enter this yard and I get a, get in a confrontation with this guy on his property, he's got a gun. There's some bad stuff that could happen here and be bad for you. Be bad. I mean, think about the trauma that could happen for your, for your dad that was there with you. You've got a wife, you've got kids, you've got all this other stuff and you chose to be calm enough that you backed out of it and let believed in the system and let the system do the work. So anybody that would sit there and say, yeah, I'm going to go up in there, whether he's got a gun or not. No, you're not. You're not. I'm just going to tell you right. No, you're not. And if you do, you're a fool. Right. So. Yeah, I agree. I agree. Um, so, yeah, I mean, it, it would, uh, uh, it's the worst nightmare that a coon hunter has to go through. And you wouldn't want that on any of your coon hunters or fellow hunters or anybody in that matter. Uh, it was tragic the night you called me. Yeah, I was man. just like, 
because I I I'd remembered you know at the time now that you refresh my memory I remember thinking that night it's like man we just went through this with all these officers and Brad Brad was the guy that was playing the role of his dog just being shot and I remembered how you played such a great role for those recruits and everything and now you here you are living this out for real and it was it was it was an amazing thing I want to talk about let's talk about a couple let, let, let me interrupt you real quick I, I, I I just want to say that one of those recruits that was there that day is now my county game warden I live at now, and I'm good friends with him. I even went to his wedding, Chris Springston. Oh, that was – I didn't. I wasn't a drill instructor for that class. Yeah. Yep. Yep. He was there. He, yep. wanted, he was one of the – He participated that, yeah. that day. Yeah. 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 Um, one of the things let's let's talk about some key things that you did, and l- let's let's talk about the Garmin issue because this is one of the things that I've told hunters over and over again. Keep track of that Garmin. That Garmin can be evidence for you um, in a situation like this. You can show where you turn loose a, a dog loose on a piece of property that you had permission on and whether it crossed property lines or it didn't cross property lines or a landowner came across property lines, that is a piece of evidence that you need to make sure that you make available to your investigator. So tell us how, how yeah. you did that. So, uh, again, I can't remember who told me that the uh, GPS uh, Garmin can be downloaded and uh, – it may have been you, Chris. I, I don't know. I don't know. If, I'm, I'm not going to take credit for that. So, I can't remember. <laughs> <laughs> I can't remember. But uh, anyway, I ended up doing it. I, I was able to get on the computer at home, and uh, I'm not computer savvy, but I was able to do it. I was able to go on there and just follow the directions and uh, pull up the uh, tracks for that night. And I think I printed off three or four papers, and it showed where I started. It showed the out, it, it said my dog's name on the tracks all three of them and it showed where we started in the woods and they took it out of that cornfield and went to the back side of uh of the uh you know five properties where they were taking the coon through and it showed them going right up to that house mm-hmm. you know and the whole interaction and so uh yes i was able to print the uh garmin gps uh uh dog's tracks mm-hmm. and was able to give that to the prosecutor so i mean the prosecutor did you give it to the prosecutor or did you give it to jeff uh i may have gave it to jeff and then he gave it to the prosecutor yeah you know, probably what happened um yeah. so yeah i mean the, the prosecutor was armed with such hard hard facts that this is a cut and dry case mm-hmm. and uh that's one of the reasons that uh the plea bargain happened and it was settled out of court um you know, uh, and I'll, 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 had 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 he went to court and been to trial, that class D felony was going to stick. Right. So we're going to cover this, and this, like I said, this is a three part series, and we talk about plea bargains with the attorney that's going to talk on this podcast. But just to get ahead of this, and you'll hear more of this later, but a plea bargain is not necessarily a bargain. You know. It is an agreement that the parties come to 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 resolve the issue at hand. 
Okay. So don't think as a anybody listening to this, don't think of a plea bargain as something that you had to settle for, Brad. You didn't have to settle for that. It's something that that was the best resolution at the time for the case. Yes. Yeah. And so um I just remembered that uh um something I didn't do I could have done. I could have took him to silver court. Mm-hmm. And paid for uh, pain and suffering, and but I felt like what was agreed upon in the plea bargain was justice. Yeah, and I'm not out to get anybody. Right, but I'm just saying that civil lawsuits can be added on top of that for pain and suffering of what the party went through. Yeah. So let's lay out the keys to success here. We'll start back from the beginning, and I think your story is amazing. You know, I'm glad your dad was there. But, okay, so you turn dogs loose. You're looking on your garment. You realize that those dogs are going towards some place that they probably shouldn't be. So you make a physical effort to get in a vehicle to go around to intersect those dogs, intercept them, to make sure that, that they uh, are safe, basically. Um, and then after... You hear the gunshots. So so you've got an intentional act to make sure that you're keeping track of your dogs using your GPS. The second thing you do is you get around there, and after the incident, you hear the shots. You keep as cool ahead as you possibly can. You don't enter the property. You don't confront the man directly. You might have verbally made a verbal exchange, but you backed out of there. You call law enforcement. Yep. And then you let the process work. That's right. You know, one of the things that I don't think that a lot of people understand about coon hunters, when a, when a coon dog comes onto property that it's not belonged on, and then people come out, they don't realize that we want to get our dogs back as much as they want the dogs off the property. Right. And, and that, that when our dog gets on property and tree a coon, when they're... When they do, uh, it, it's about as fast as we can to get in there, just like you said. You know, I drove around there as fast as I could to try to intercept because I knew they were where they were supposed to be. Yeah. And, um, you know, I think it is a, a sickening feeling. If, if your dogs are going towards something that's unknown, for me, it's sickening. I, I think, man, where, where are they? What's over there? What's going to happen? I need to get my hands on those dogs. I mean, I just pulled in a driveway uh, the other night. Dogs crossed a road and got up on a hillside. I'd never talked to these people. I go to the door, knock on the door. The man came to the door with a Ruger 44 mag in his hand. I'm not lying. I'm serious. I'm standing there. I'm talking to this guy, and he's like, and he's like, man, I don't know who's coming to my door at this time. And it wasn't late. It was only 8:30 at night, but it was dark. And I'm, you know, who's beating on my door? And uh, as soon as he realized what was happening, he laid the gun down. I'm not going to get crazy about that. I mean, he wasn't threatening me with the gun. He was just in possession of a gun. But you know, it's it. There's a lot of work to be done on on our side as houndsmen. I had I've had numerous opportunities to stop in at that man's house he's lived there for i don't know 20 years and i hunt across the road from his house 
And usually we just go down the creek and tree some coons and come back out there. But, man, it'd take him five minutes to, to stop in there and talk to him and yeah. let him know what's going on. One of the things I'd like to uh, just really compliment uh, you and Jerry Mole on is starting the Hoosier Tree Dog Alliance. And, and uh, you know, coming up with the Hoosier Tree Dog Alliance posters that said, don't shoot my dog, you know, where they you just put them in gas stations and stuff to just – Grab the attention of somebody. What do you mean? What do you mean? Don't shoot my dog. Oh, it it, it could be a criminal offense. Oh my goodness! Yeah. You know, I mean that 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 was a real, uh, real great move on, on y'all's uh, part, and, and uh, we need to get back to it again. You know, we we need to keep educating, and it, like you said, I mean, what would have been the difference had I went down through there? I mean, my dad lives right there. You know, two miles down the road. What would have been the difference had I just one day stopped in each house and said, hey, my name's Brad. I just want you to know I coon hunt around here. And if you ever hear a hound dog coming through, just know they're the sweetest things in the world. There ain't nothing to worry about. I'll be after my dog. Just You know, you're right, Chris. We could do a better job. Saturday afternoon. Think of how, hey, how, many, how many people we could contact on one Saturday afternoon. They're out doing yard work. You see them out. You swing in and say, hey. And more than likely, they're going to share that information with other people they yeah. know. Yeah. You know. So, yeah. yeah. I mean, you're always going to run into it. And anytime, anytime we've said it on this podcast a bunch, Brad, but if our dogs get off a piece of property where they're not supposed to be, there's there's one person that's really at fault. That's me. Right. You know, when I turn that dog loose and then it, so you got to be humble, but there's a lot of stuff we can do on the front end of that to avoid a lot of this. But yeah. What would you tell somebody, what message do you want to get out there to the coon hunters? And this isn't, we'd bear, we've had bear hunters go through the same thing, you know, all these things. What's something you'd want to tell houndsmen out there that might come into, unfortunately, they may have this same experience? Yeah, yeah. So, um What's interesting is, is over the years since that happened, uh, I've had probably a half dozen guys call me that had their dog shot because they would always refer back to uh, me because uh, we were the first successful uh, prosecution case that was able to do that. And so uh, one of the first things I asked them, I said, well, did you say anything to the property owner? Did you keep you cool? Did you, did you call the law? You know, and uh, uh, those are the things that I would say is, is say, look, guys, if the incident happens, nothing's going to bring that dog back. Nothing's going to change the situation. The best thing to do is the system does work, but we got to do it right. Keep a cool head. Don't even talk to the landowner. At that point, you need to walk away. Call your local conservation officer that you so your game warden that you hopefully have a have a relationship with. Uh, if 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 the game warden doesn't show up, and a, and a state trooper or a sheriff does, request the game warden. Then take this information that uh, uh, that dog is your property. Okay, that that's my property, and that in Indiana it's a Class D felony to shoot a domesticated animal. Uh, a lot of I, I I don't know how many uh, law enforcement officers knows that, right? You know, uh, have them investigate that because that now it becomes a different situation. It goes from 
oh, it's a possible civil issue to now a criminal issue. Oh, can I speak on that just real quickly? So if, if you get a law enforcement officer that shows up, and even if you call a game warden, doesn't necessarily mean they're going to be, they're going to know what to do. But just simply tell them, there's a crime that's been committed. I need you to investigate it. And if they want to say this is a civil case, then you need to talk to their supervisors. Don't wait till tomorrow. Don't go in and talk to the chief tomorrow. Don't call the sh- don't talk go in and talk to the sheriff. You need to preserve that scene as a crime scene right now. So if that law enforcement officer is trying to pass the buck or not do their job or trying to get down to the speedway to have cup cup of coffee with his buddies, you need to make sure that you talk to that sheriff that night. I want to talk to your supervisors. I need to talk to your supervisor right now. And be persistent, be polite, but be persistent. And if they're not, then call 911 back and say, hey, I've got a police officer here who does not not want to do his job. I need to talk to his supervisor. He won't He won't seem to contact him. Can You, he, you can do it. That's totally within your rights to do it. If most police officers are going to do their job. Again, it's just a deal where you walk into this situation, it's not – Shooting a coon dog isn't something that happens every day, you know. So most law enforcement officers aren't going to know really what they need to do, but you need to break it down for them. This is my property. He shot it. It's no different than if it was a cow, whether it was anything else, you know. Let's, let's investigate this. And they'll be like, some lights will start going off then. Yeah. They really will. Yeah. So uh, I want to touch on real quick about um, how the prosecutor, Mike Dahoney, and myself came to uh, a price. A value. A value. Good. I'm glad you brought that up because I wanted to cover that with you. A a banjo. And um, because that had to be determined. And uh, so we, we provided a list of the receipts of all his winnings. Um, we uh, shared the value of his uh, pedigree and the possibility of what he could have produced in puppies or stud fees. Uh, we we talked about the value of he the fact that he was qualified for the PKC World Hunt that year and that he he lost out on possibly winning thirty thousand dollars. Right, right. Um, uh, the the value that uh of the gas and time that I have spent taking him to all the competition hunts that he was already in. I mean, all those things came into factor to to determine a, uh, a reasonable value of the dog. And reasonable is the key. Yes, it is reasonable. You can't get stupid. You can't go in there and say, my dog worth 30000 because he could have won 30000 You know, so, uh, you know, you, you, you work out a reasonable value. And, and again, you know, I just want to say, um, I had a letter sent to me by somebody after that all happened and saying that um, I, was, I was wrong to sue the, the landowner to shoot that shot my dog. And what these people failed to realize that sent me this letter, there was no lawsuit involved. This, right. was, the, this was the plea bargain. Well, the th- the thing is, people are ignorant. I mean, and I'm I'm not saying they're stupid. I'm saying they're ignorant. Right. 
they make emotional uh, – they react emotionally to situations that they don't know anything about. I see it all the time. I saw it as a law enforcement officer. I see it as running this podcast. You know, I see people that that reach out and make statements and make assumptions about things that they have no clue about. But um, the thing, the thing you said that impressed me, Brad, is you said what was fair. Okay, what was a fair evaluation? When when you get this settlement, when when a prosecutor and Aaron will talk about this, but everybody's dog is priceless. You know, really. Right. I mean, they're all priceless. Right. If it's my dog him. and I've put this much time into it, he can never be replaced again. Right. It, it can't happen. But the law doesn't care about um, what you think. It's what is actually, what is the actual value of that. And you have to come up to something that you said is fair, just, and reasonable. Yeah. You know, what is the reasonable price for this dog? And, and you guys came to that. And in your day, what year was this? It was uh, 2009. 2009 we're talking about 12 years ago yeah 12 years ago that this happened inflation's kicked in a little bit since then that's right especially now if it (laughs) 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 if if it was this day and age we could add a lot more to that but in the at the time i remember when you got awarded that uh restitution i was like yes that finally you know that's a that sounds fair and just it was an upper it's a pretty good chunk, but it didn't replace anything. Right. However, it was just and it was reasonable. Yep. So in the state of Indiana, I do believe that theft or destruction of property that is valued over four thousand or more, it may, it may somewhere in there, it becomes a felony mm-hmm. too. Each state would be different. I don't know what the dollar amount is anymore, but yeah. So it's called criminal mischief. Anytime that you um, destroy property belonging to somebody. If it's up to a certain amount, it's a misdemeanor. If it goes over that amount, it's a felony. Right. right. And so, you know, that comes into play too mm-hmm. because your dog is your personal property. Yep. Yep. And so, I mean, there's a, there's a lot of factors in all that. Right. And, and so, I mean, it, uh, I, I, I'm just, I just feel really thankful and blessed that I was uh, a part of the Hoosier Tree Dog Alliance that, that, uh, that taught me a lot, you know, um, yeah, that, that, you know, having that role play a few weeks or 10 days prior. Can you imagine? That is amazing. That, that is just mind boggling. I'm like, you gotta be kidding me. This, you know, yeah. went over this. And so if you, if you look at it, well, like Brad had the upper hand. Yes, I did. But guys, I did it because I, I got active with my That's hunting, right. orga- hunting exactly. organization. I didn't sit on the sidelines. And if everybody would get active, we could have some awesome hunting organizations out there. I, I started the Central Indiana Coon Hunters Association in 2003 from my, from my home that I live out in the country in Danville. And, you know, it, 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 everybody can do something and, mm-hmm. and, you know, get involved with uh, your uh, Indiana Coon Hunters Association, your state organizations, or start, start, a, start an organization that, like the Hoosier Tree Dog Alliance. Well, I if mean, you don't if, have one, start it. Pardon me? I said, if you don't have one, start one. That's right. And so am I, am I correct in saying that, that Hoosier Tree Dog Alliance is the one that was pushed for the law to be changed of a Class D felony for shooting a domesticated animal? Or, or oh, we, I'm sorry, uh, 
no, we helped change the law to extend the hunting season, the running season. We also, we also were involved in the domesticated animal law. Yes. Yeah. Right. And so to get it raised to a felony level. Right. And so you know, I know they did that. I know we did uh, uh, extending the hunting season from January thirty first to come right. right in back in for February first for yeah. dog running season. Uh, instead of waiting two weeks until it used to be February 15th. Hey, we need to revive the Hoosier Tree Dog Alliance. It sounds like you're running for president, Brad. <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> I've done my time. I've done my time. Hey, we need to wrap this one up but because uh, we're going to go coon hunting for a little bit. And I appreciate you coming down. And, and uh, man, what a story. Yeah. What a story. I'm And kudos to you, Brad, for, for you know, a lot of things. I mean, one, getting involved. Two, keeping a cool head. Three, being patient. And, uh, you know, you did all the right things here. And that's why I wanted to share your story with everybody that it's the system isn't against you, but you have to understand the system in order for it to work properly. And this story shows people that the system can work properly when you understand it and you do the right things. That's right. So that's right. Kudos to you, Brad. Well, thank you for having me. It's been a pleasure. Appreciate your hospitality. Chris. I appreciated your friendship all these years, you Brad. Too. Seriously. So guys, I'm going to sign off on this podcast and, uh, until next time, Brad, you follow your hounds and I'll follow mine. You bet. Thank you. All right. <laughs>